This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. That's pretty much it for 2022. It's been another year of England matches. Some very big highs, an almost, and a couple of very lows. As Christmas and 2023 approach, as I like to do, It's that time to take a look back over the year. Once again, with a couple of friends of the podcast, and I'll bring them in very soon. What with the World Cup having finished, it seems very strange to feel that we've had two major men's finals within the space of two years. Now, unless FIFA get their way with having the World Cup every two years then I doubt we'll see that scenario again. This year of 2022 has seen the England side play 13 matches. Two have been friendlies, six have been Nations League group matches and five have been World Cup finals matches. The bare facts are that we have won five of them, drawn four and lost four of them. We've scored 22 and conceded 15 There have been 12 different England goalscorers. Tell you what, you have the length of this podcast to try and come up with all of those 12 goalscorers. I'll tell you at the end. Now, I make it that Gareth Southgate has fielded 37 different players over those 13 matches Only Captain Harry Kane has played a part in all 13 and been top scorer for the calendar year with five goals. Harry Maguire, Declan Rice and Jude Bellingham, they've all earned 12 caps. From a podcast perspective over the past year, including this episode, this makes 60 that I've done, which has surprised me. But there have been some really interesting ones, especially all the ones about England at the World Cup over the years. All of those and more, of course, can be found at your podcast provider of choice or, of course, threelionspodcast.com. And it's also that time of year when I get a few messages, and, and thank you for these, where people send me screenshots of their Spotify listening habits. And it's it's so nice and humbling um, to see how high and, and the podcast is in your, I don't know, day-to-day life, how often you listen to it, be it in the top five, uh, the top three, a few of you, thank you. It has been your number one for the year. So, yeah, I, I don't know what to say. Other than thank you. But next year, uh, I'm, I'm hoping I won't be looking to break that 60 figure next year. But I still do hope to put out some regular recordings. Especially 
as we have another tournament to look forward to next year. It is the Women's World Cup taking place in Australia and New Zealand in 2023. And speaking of the Lionesses, this year has really been their year. But just like I mentioned with the men, here are their stats. The girls have played 20 matches across the year, three Arnold Clark Cup matches. You could say they're friendlies, but officially they come under the Arnold Clark Cup tournament banner. Uh, Four World Cup group qualifying matches, seven official friendlies, and of course six European Championship matches. They have won 16 and drawn four. And of course, it has been well documented they haven't lost any. And in the process, they have scored 72 goals and only conceded seven. There have been 15 different goal scorers and two own goals in our favour. And Serena Weigman has played 32 players across those 20 matches. And famously, she played the same starting 11 for all of the European Championship matches. And both Rachel Daly and Kira Walsh played a part in all 20 of those games this year. It was a year, of course, that saw them collect two trophies, the Arnold Clark Cup and the European Championships in the summer. Clutching very much at straws, but you could also add in Jill Scott's Queen of the Jungle crown to that too. And also, honourable mention to the England under-19s, who won the under-19s European Championships in Slovakia back in June and July. Remember we beat Israel in the final? It's going to be interesting to see how some of those players progress. This year, next year, of course we've got the the European Championships in Germany 2024 to look ahead to. And of course, the next World Cup. Will any of those under-19s players be part of that? We will watch and wait. So, what a year it's been, and here to go through it all with me is Aidan Smith from FreeLions.net and Gary Lambert from Channel England Football over on YouTube. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, uh, you all right? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and your listeners. Thank you. Likewise to you. Now, I'm gonna, we're going to go through, through the year here. Um, I'm going to start by asking you sort of both the same question. Uh, we'll go with Aidan first. Um, sort of a double-edged question. What were your expectations for this year, following last year? And if I'd have said to you at the beginning of the year, you've got 13 games and you've got five wins within it, four draws, four losses, how would you have taken that? Well, Regarding the first part of your question, um, I remember sitting here with you last year, looking back on 2021, and I think we were all in agreement um, that it was the best year in England's history, calendar year. Obviously, regardless, you know, apart from we we didn't quite win it, but um, we you know we played. I think it was 21 or 19 games 
conceded only five goals. In the Euros, we conceded only two, none from open play. We broke the record for the number of goals scored in the calendar year for England. It was previously 38 in 2019 under Southgate. And then we broke it by reaching 52, which was obviously a huge margin. And I think, to be honest with you, we felt that the only negative was that we didn't take that trophy home. And actually, if we had taken that trophy home, all the year in a package is pretty much the perfect calendar year. So regarding uh, the the record for wins, draws and losses that you've you've just mentioned for this year, I wouldn't have been surprised that it would not have been quite as good as 2021, whether you call that hangover from the Euros or whether that's just, you know, you need some sort of deviation. Um, I knew that we were going to concede quite a few more goals because of the nature of the competitions we were involved in. We had a Nations League campaign this year as opposed to a qualification campaign last year. So obviously that changes things. And we haven't been particularly successful in the Nations League competitions so far because we approach them differently. We tend to use them as an experience, uh, an experiment sort of, uh, instead of using them to win and and solely to win and fine-tune that first team. I mean, if we think back to the Nations League campaign two years ago, autumn 2020, that was the birth and early nurture of players like Phil Foden, Bukayo Saka, Calvin Phillips, Grealish, Rhys James, Jude Bellingham, Connor Cody. So all these players were getting prepared to go to a tournament as toddlers of the international game just six months later. So um, I sort of knew that this year would take a similar path. But um, given where we were in September, Mm. and I remember speaking to you then, I'm pleased with the way it's ended. Okay. Well, we shall shall come on to, uh, obviously, how it's ended. But Gary, yeah, same, same to you, mate. Well, I think you start with, as Aidan suggested, we were starting from very lofty heights, should we say. So you could almost argue that the only way is down. But having said that, there's no doubt that most England fans won't be disappointed. Sorry, yeah, won't be disappointed with the performances this year. I mean, you look at the start of the year and you see our Nations League group, it was obviously going to be a very tough group, but one you would expect us to have done better in. Italy, as we knew by the time the Nations League had kicked off, weren't going to the World Cup. So they very much looked beatable compared to what they were following the European final loss. Germany were still the, you know, even though they were in transition, it was still a Germany team that we had beaten in the Euros and, and relatively comfortably not too long ago. And obviously Hungary, everyone just expected us to beat Hungary. So on paper, you know, you're looking at it and it looked like a tough group. Obviously, it didn't turn out that way. But there's no doubt that that Nations League campaign, just first and foremost, was an utter disaster, a complete and utter disaster. And I think given England's trophy cabinet, I do not agree with England fans who call the Nations League a a Mickey Mouse tournament. And I don't agree the way if this is what Southgate and the players have done in treating the competition as a warm up for the World Cup. I just do not agree with it at all. And I don't buy it as an excuse because... We need to be winning trophies. We we all know as fans, England beating teams within the top 10, top 15, winning trophies is a huge barrier and a monkey we can't get off our back. And this these Nations League, I see it as another opportunity to do so. And we just we just didn't, I mean, you can either say we didn't bother or we just didn't turn up. It was probably a mix of both, really. So the Nations League campaign for me was just unacceptable 
Um, and as we all remember, it was that bad that at the end of it, most people were calling for Gareth Southgate probably to be sacked before the World Cup even started. So that gives a, a feeling of how England were doing almost up until October time, November time, going into the World Cup. And then we go into the World Cup off the back of that 3-3 mixed game against Germany, should we say. That was on the verge of being a disastrous night that actually turned into something to build optimism around, should we say, because we were we were getting heavily beaten at one point. We go into the World Cup and we we have performed well. You know, I'm I'm not one of them where we say we've just beat a load of Mickey Mouse teams. We haven't, you know, there's the African Cup of Nations champions there. Um so there was a we've we've put in some good performances. We were the top scoring nation uh, going into that game with France. So there was plenty to be optimistic about. But it comes down to same old England, and I and I've I'm going to come across as quite harsh, but it's once again England fail coming up against a team where who should we say are probably going to be more competitive, and it's the tight games, the tight fixtures, and there's no way I'm sorry, but there's no way at the beginning of this year I'd have taken relegation from the Nations League and quarterfinal in the World Cup after the Euros. I just wouldn't, even though uh, the Nations League group was very challenging, um, and France were obviously looking like potentially becoming back-to-back world champions. I think if you're talking about England going to that next level to be an elite international team, when it can't just be one good year, then we regress. This Good teams do this year in, year out, and I think it's been a very poor year from England. Okay. Well, there's a, a lot to sort of unpick from uh, from there, from both of you in in the space of what, what time we've got. And we're, we're talking... We're talking on the day of the World Cup final. Uh, we don't know the result yet, but it's also a day where where it's it's almost unconfirmed, but confirmed that Gareth Southgate will stay as England manager um, and see out his contract until the end of the, the Euro 2024 campaign. And Gary, you mentioned it there, that the, the Hungary game where England supporters were venting their disappointment, their disapproval at Gareth Southgate, and I'm going to hold my hand up. I was one of those standing in the stand at, at Molyneux saying you don't know what you're doing. But, I mean, I, I think the, um, the the 4-0 scoreline doesn't, when something like that helps, you you vent your your displeasure in various ways. Then that, that Nations League campaign, Hungary, Italy, Germany, and and the way that, people see this Nations League and, and how we approach it. Has that backfired this year, sort of, Aidan? Uh, has it backfired? I mean, what do you mean by that? Well, that that you say we um, we prepare in different ways for the Nations League. Did you say that, like, we we try different systems and the fact that it's it's backfired in the way that we've we've been relegated from it? Yeah, I think there's certainly an element of that. You can't avoid that. And 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 I think Southgate is the first to know that. He cannot avoid taking responsibility for this. I think you do always have to look at the nuance here. And, and there are various factors, components there that, that made this particularly difficult this summer. We should not have had four games in the space of two weeks coming straight off the back of a very, very heavy season. And that's particularly taking its toll on the England team, of course, because the Premier League is, we would probably agree, the most competitive league in the in the world. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't agree with the Nations League taking place then for starters. But yeah, th- you know, these are all semantics. The Nations League campaign itself 
did not go to plan. I think we've pretty much discovered now that Hungary, we've got a new bogey team moving on from Iceland. <laughs> um, we just can't seem to do it against against their their very well-structured back five system. We, we sort of toyed between back five, back four, and, and actually, truthfully, we didn't really know what England were going to play even up to the day of the World Cup opener. Yeah. I think people were frustrated with the use of certain players, Jude Bellingham particularly. Uh, I don't think people liked having him in a double pivot role. I think they wanted him to go and be free, uh, which we saw at the World Cup. But the Nations League, I think, look, it's one of those ones, every manager is going to have a different uh, relationship with the Nations League and a different way of approaching it. And I sort of take what Gary's saying there about, you know, look, you know, look, look at the trophy cabinet. We need to... We need, we need to start getting some trophies in there. Uh, it doesn't matter what they are. But, if, you know, if I was choosing between winning the Nations League or winning the World Cup, of course I'd choose winning the World Cup. And if that means treating the Nations League like tournament preparers, I'm sort of okay with that um, because we don't have friendlies in the, national, in the international game anymore. And qualifiers, as we know, Teams slip up a lot in qualifiers these days, more than they used to. I mean, 2018, Chile, the USA, Holland, Italy, they didn't even qualify. This year, of course, Italy knocked out by Macedonia in the playoffs, didn't qualify again. So I think there's a growing realisation that you cannot take international games for granted. And so where's the time to prepare? And I sort of understand that the Nations League was that time for Gareth Southgate. I mean, there was a lot of negativity going into this tournament, but I think part of it is the fact that people hadn't really realised that all of these games had been preparation and experiment games, as opposed to we're putting out our best lineup for all of these games, which we didn't. I mean, the, the hungry 4-0 loss, we've started Conor Gallagher, Jude Bellingham, who at the time is on very few caps, and uh, Declan Rice, oh, no, Calvin Phillips in a, in a right. midfield three. And I, I think back to the March games as well. I mean, we, we ended up playing a 3-5-2, which we haven't done since September 2018 just because it was the best way to approach Switzerland and and that almost felt like a bit of a step back in in terms of why are we focusing on what they're doing instead of what we can do to hurt them but um so so yeah you know you start to look at different experimental decisions and maybe that lends a bit of perspective and you start to understand why it is that the Nations League didn't go to plan I haven't got the the calendar dates for it but I think the next Nations League campaign will be, I guess, will we'll be back end of 2023 and going into 2024. Would that be right? So, I mean, the structure of it will be different, I guess. Gary? Yeah, I, th- I believe so. It's difficult to, because obviously they've still got the, the final of this round to go ahead, the semi-final and the final, of course, as well for the Nations League. So, right. um, I think um, my problem with... The and I completely understand this was a, a freak year given the fact that the World Cup was hosted in November, December time. So there wasn't the usual round of international fixtures for managers to prepare for the World Cup. So there has to be obviously some sort of um, exploration within those Nations League games, but a 4 0 hammering at home to Hungary is there's experimenting and then there's literally just not it, just disastrous, you know. It's the worst home defeat in almost living memory and I, I am very much and I've said this millions of times I, I'd love Gareth Southgate if he does stay on I think it's absolutely brilliant but we've got to be taking every opportunity we can within competitive games the problem we've got now is that we're going to be in League B which means 
the level of opposition we're going to be playing against is obviously not going to be as good as what it would be within League A. That has long-term ramifications. We also know that the draw for the European 2024 qualifier was influenced by us being relegated. Had that have been for a World Cup qualification where currently only the top teams qualify, that group we're currently in for the Euros, I'd have been looking at that and, and I'd have been worried. And I know now that the World Cup's going to be expanding again. So every country and the dog and duck will probably... And Scotland. Next, uh, yeah, yeah. We'll be at the next, uh, we'll be at the next World Cup. But these Nations League games have much more at stake now. And, you know, not only is it an opportunity for England to win trophies, but seedings now are so important. We've seen this World Cup, the gap between top teams and lesser teams, should we say, is is closing. You know, there's been a lot of shocks this year. And there's almost no easy draws, no easy groups, and seedings are becoming even more important in my eyes as we move forward. And I just think that that Nations League campaign was just unacceptable in, in every single way, whether it's a warm-up or not. Mm. Um, and, and that's, yeah, that's my take on it okay. personally. And Aidan, you were nodding along there with, with some of what Gary said there. Yeah, I think that that's that's something we look for these days. We don't try and hide away from from these big matches, and we like to play the big nations because, um, I mean, Russell, I remember I remember coming on the podcast after we beat Spain in uh, in Betis, uh, the home of Betis oh. in Seville, and uh, and I said that it was our first win against a major nation since Argentina two thousand and two in the World Cup competitively, yeah. which is just appalling when you think about it. I mean, how many other how, how many other major nations have that kind of a record? I mean, none. I mean, you know, most major nations are able to you know pull it out of the hat for one game and and beat another team, and maybe it doesn't you know last for, for a journey. But we've just been unable to break that duck for so many years, and and I just want to play the big teams now because since then we've beaten Belgium as well at Wembley uh, in the Nations League, and obviously Germany at Wembley in the Euros. And this was a big chance to beat France this year as well. And obviously in the Nations League, we, we couldn't quite do it. But you want to be playing the best teams because England are one of the best teams in the world now. I'd say we're probably one of the top five in the world. And um, to, be, to be there deservedly, you have to have a portfolio of beating the best teams. So I totally agree that, you know, if, if this was, you know, if we hadn't been relegated, we would be in a much better position now in terms of playing the big teams. We now are going to be in Nations League B and the sort of teams you're going to be playing there are sort of Austria, Romania sort of sides, which isn't ideal. I mean, England, you know, will still, I mean, under Gareth Southgate, if if he does stay, I mean, we think he will at the moment. There's no one I trust more to not take those fixtures for granted. He's very good at that. Doesn't get too high with the highs, doesn't get carried away. So I think we would still take them very seriously, but I don't think they would offer us what we need at this moment in time, which is big matches. Okay. Well, those big matches, hopefully not too far away in the future, but um, I'm just going to change change sexes, as it were, um, Just and, and we'll come to, the, uh, come to the World Cup in a moment. But I want to just touch on the, uh, the women and how well they've done this year. It's been a, a phenomenal year for the Lionesses. It's one where they've proved that they can match the best in the world. A, a year where they've played 20 games, won 16, drawn four, and only lost none. Lost none. So they've got the winning mentality, haven't they? How's, how's the Lionesses year been for you guys? 
Well, for, for me, it's it's night and day, isn't it, compared to the chaps? Um, and yeah. I think, and this is where the FIFA rankings are disgrace. I genuinely believe the English women's team are the best team in the world at the minute within that within that discipline. Um, we include beating the United States this year, obviously yeah. the big one that um, have dominated women's football for an awful long time. But winning the Euros, beating Germany in the final, the goals England have scored, the record they've had this year. There's no doubt in my mind the English women's team now this year have gone on to be the best team in the world. Uh, and that Euros victory was excellent. It was absolutely fantastic. It was brilliant to see a senior England international squad lift the trophy um, at home. Yeah. Uh, so it was. It was great. It was great medicine, should we say, for uh, for the for the chaps uh, losing the penalty shootout the the year before. And and it was just the the only worry is literally the only way almost for the English women's is is down. You know, winning the World Cup is obviously another step. And at the minute, I would I would put England as favourites to do so. But the women have just been absolutely phenomenal. There's n- there's no other word for it. The records are almost ridiculous. Really. Aren't they? When you, particularly when you look at goals scored, so yeah. yeah, absolutely unbelievable. Yeah, I think Gary's hit the nail on the head there. I mean, what I what I've thought about this year. I mean, we've got the best manager in the world, Serena Vigman. We've got the best player in the world this year, Beth Mead. And what what I've been thinking since that final, and and obviously in the games afterwards, is when was the last time we saw men or women the best player in the world blending in with their team? They're not a standout player. That is credit to the team when you think about it. And I mean that in the sense that all the other players are, are of a very similar standard as well. And, and we must remember not to detract that from Beth Mead's quality. I mean, she has been the best player in the world this year. But everyone has chipped in. Everyone's got goals. And we're so ruthless. There is no game that we take as a, a sort of, you know, sort of idle through it. And, and we've got half of a, you know, the reserve squad on there just to get some minutes in. You know, look back at all of our, even the qualifiers that we've had this year, 10 nil victories, and we're getting four goals for Beth Mead, three for LMY, you know, uh, Stanway, Hemp, uh, Toon, all of these players are getting on the score sheet pretty much every game. And the records that are going to be broken by these women over the next few years are just magnificent to think about. Yeah. There's a, another question sort of within it that um, you've mentioned Serena Weigman and I don't even know if I want to bring this question up because it's so controversial. But obviously, what with Gareth Southgate and and the 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 sort of conversations that have been had over the uh, the past, I don't know, six months. But but Serena Weidman's Dutch and has won the trophy. Alf Ramsey is obviously English. Gareth Southgate's English. Alf Ramsey's won the trophy. Gareth Southgate hasn't. In a nutshell, are we bothered that Serena Weidman is? Foreign? Uh, I'm going to go out there and say that we'll probably get to the uh, the foreign manager section of this podcast a little bit later when we talk about Gareth Southgate. Okay, all right. But, but what I what I would say is, I hear a lot of people talking about, oh, you know, should should we get Vigman in for the England job, or you know, um, who the what's the Chelsea manager's name again? Um, I've forgotten her name now. Emma Hayes. Emma Hayes. That's right. Should we get Emma Hayes into the uh, to the men's game? And as much as I think, do you know what? They probably could do a really good job and they're such great personalities for the sport. Perhaps they're better placed in the women's game purely because the women's game is growing so much at the moment. And if we end up snatching all of the best names from the women's game, it's going to go straight back downhill again. 
And it's almost going to become a feeder for the men's game. And I don't really want it to become that. Because if we, you know, if we think back to the summer over the uh, the women's Euros, it wasn't, this is this is brilliant for women's sport. You know, this is this is a great peripheral sporting achievement. This is this was the biggest thing on our minds, sporting-wise, this summer. This wasn't women's sport, this was sport. Mm. And it was absolutely fantastic to watch. And it's because we're getting these huge faces involved now. And they're celebrities. They are celebrities, almost to the same scale as the men's players now. And I absolutely love that. And we must not damage that. Fair enough. Gary? I, I'm, I know we'll, I don't know if we'll come on to it later, but I'm torn. I'm very, growing up, I have consistently been said the English manager should be English. And I think that's, that's the whole international aspect. I think, you know, we're sort of talking about the best, what your country can offer. And I think that goes down to the manager. Having said that though, I'm not, I'm not against, um, you know, a non-English manager coming in and I would not care a monkeys where they're from. If we won the world cup or, or even the nation's league, I wouldn't care less. And I think that the fact that Serena's um, won the nation, uh, sorry, won the Euros with the women uh, just shows again that we shouldn't close the door to non-English managers in the men's or women's game. I just think with the men's game, I, I think there's been a very mixed bag going abroad. I think particularly with Capella, we saw that it was a the culture difference. I think there was such a huge yeah. difference in the way that our English players responded to Capello. And I, th- I just think you've just got to be very, very careful going abroad. And not only that, though, I want to see more English managers given the opportunity because we are so underrepresented, uh, underrepresented, sorry, as a nation in, in managers positions. And I just think why not give it, give it an Englishman or an English lady. Okay. Well, just to, to round off the, the lionesses and, and you mentioned, or you almost mentioned the nation's league for the, uh, the women. I believe that's, that's high on the agenda now that's coming soon. So that's going to be interesting, but the world cup for next year, will see us play, China, Denmark, and one of Haiti or Senegal um, in our group. The World Cup has, that's got to come home, hasn't it? It's coming home. It's coming <laughs> home. It is coming home. There's no doubt. Um, the teams we've beat this year on the women's game, we are the best team in the world at the minute. And I think the smart money is on England to bring that trophy home. I really do. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Please, no. you know, I'm just saying that now. I'm not saying there's not going to be challenges, but the English women can can beat every single nation because they've done it this year. They've done it this year. They've proven it. And I put England genuinely, not just with the England hat on, yeah, yeah. as we all know we do. I genuinely put the English women as favourites for that tournament. You agree, Aidan? You've got, yeah, you've got to look at both playing against lesser nations and playing against the best nations. And I think every competition that we've been in this year for the women has sort of given us a different sort of outlook. And I think if you look at the qualifiers... 10 wins out of 10, 80 goals scored, zero conceded. I mean, that should be enough. But for context, Spain were the next best for goals scored and they were only 53. So absolutely ruthless against qualification teams that obviously we knew we were going to beat most of them. But we're, we're able to, to get ridiculous margins and we're, we're taking no prisoners whatsoever. But you look at the Arnold Clark Cup as well. Yeah. Two draws, one win, I think it was. Um, so, and we didn't play our best. I remember back to watching those games. I mean, you'll know Russell as well. We did not play at our best. No. We needed corners and we needed free kicks to win that tournament, but we still won it having not played at our best. And that's, that's the mark of a really good team is when they can 
yes, control games, maybe not have their best game, maybe even be sloppy, but they still have those killer moments that they can win games in, even when they're not playing at their best. And the women's Euros as well, finally, I, I'm just remembering that that final against Germany. And when it went to extra time, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but when it goes to extra time, my first thought was, oh, not extra time in the Germans, surely yeah. not. But then my second thought kicked in, which was, hang on a second, no, this this is our time. I mean, before the game, I was thinking, we have been by a margin the best team in this tournament. And if we don't win this now, we're never going to win this. And it was it was almost, you know, an afterthought kicked in. But hang on a second, we can deal with this pressure because most a lot of teams are able to have a really fun environment by you know, the shackles are off, getting rid of all that pressure. But what England have done is embrace that pressure to be able to have a really good environment. And that's incredible. That That's harder, that's easier said than done, I've got to say. So it's that mix of being able to play in those huge games, whether you're playing well or not, get the results, get over the line and trust your ability, but also being ruthless in those smaller games. I mean, I for goodness sake, I think we, we've got to do it. We absolutely, I think we will. I really do think we will after that USA game as well. Mm. Let's, let's hope so. In the time that we've got left, let's go back to the, uh, to the recent Qatar World Cup. Obviously, as I say, we're, we're talking before we know the final uh, result, but England are, are back home now. Going into it, uh, let's go with you, Aidan. Obviously, we, we knew that we had Iran, USA and Wales to start us with. Where, where were your feelings lying for this World Cup? Tough group. I mean, yeah. I know that England are at a point now where that shouldn't be the first thought is, you know, or who have we got in the group stage? It should be looking further than that. But yeah, you, you can only play who's in front of you. I don't agree with all of this talk about, oh, Southgate's only had easy runs because he's not chosen to have easy runs. You can only play who's in front of you. And he has, goodness me, he's played them. You know what I mean? I didn't have particularly high expectations after what had happened already this year. There were certain things I wanted, and in fairness, I think we saw them. Um, certain players being free, giving, given the licence to go forward. We were playing in a really fluid way. I mean, the September internationals against Italy and Germany, I think the possession stats that we had were something like 40% for both of them which is just so alien to us over the last few years. But we were the second highest for possession in this tournament. I think it was mid-60s or something like that, which is very impressive given where we were coming into the tournament. And that's exactly what we needed to do. The next step for this England team was to control big games, not to just snatch something you know, in, in, in a couple of minutes, but to control these big games. And I saw it against every team and, you know, don't, Make no mistake, every team that we played at this tournament was a big team and we were ruthless, just like I was saying about the women. We had no mercy whatsoever. That, that Iran game was just fantastic. The yeah. shackles were off and we were just able to go and play. And it was what was really pleasing was that it was the, I mean, I spoke to you after the, after the Iran game, Russell. I said just this, it was, it was the young players really stepping up, getting on the end of those chances you know, and, and and there's something tangible for the efforts for those young players. And look at the goal scoring stats of, of of England's squad at the moment after this tournament. I mean, they look doubly as good because eight different scorers, most of them under 25, and most of them attackers. I mean, that that gives real hope for the future. The tournament itself, I can't say um I can't I can't 
really give much criticism to Gareth Southgate. I think he, I think he played a blinder. I really do. And I think all of this talk about getting a new manager, I think a lot of that comes from boredom. England are not typically a, a nation who keep their manager for this long. Um, but I think he he's earned the right. He's you know he's 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 earned the right to to stay on as long as he wants to. I don't think the FA will sack him at any point. I think it'll be his decision to leave, and I think that could easily have happened this month. And you know it could still happen, but by the sounds of things, he's going to stay on. And I'm, I I totally agree with that. Um, I think you've got to always look at who is the alternative. And I think at the moment the biggest alternative is Thomas Tuchel because he's expressed huge interest in the role. We were just talking about foreign manager, yes, no. I don't think Eddie Howe's in a position where he wants to take it. I don't think Graham Potter is in a position where he wants to take it or indeed where he can take it at the moment. And so really, for me, there's no better option than Gareth Southgate. I don't think Thomas Tuchel, maybe he's a better tactician than Gareth Southgate. I would I would certainly admit that. I don't, I don't think anyone would argue that. But Gareth, so much of what's what's gone right for England over the last six years has been done on the uh, off the pitch. Yeah. I think maybe with England in, you know, looking back over history, maybe what we need to have more emphasis on at the moment is the heart and getting the environment right over the head and the tactics and things like that, because that will come with a good environment. And we just need to focus on having a good environment at the moment. And, you know, there is, we've heard about Thomas Tuchel falling out with owners and, you know, other members of staff and players and things like that. And I'm not saying that he's, you know, a relationship breaker or anything like that. But whether he would take a step back from what Southgate's done, despite being tactically really elite, I, I, I don't want to really test how that would play out. I'm not sure I would. Well, thankfully, we won't have to, uh, to decide on, on who takes the, the top flight England manager going forward, because this is the, the time we're actually recording at, that the FA, uh, and you have to excuse me, Aidan, I wasn't had my... Uh, my phone on deliberately looking at this, but the FA uh, have just announced in a tweet at FA spokesperson uh, message from FA CEO, Mark Bullingham. We are delighted to confirm that Gareth Southgate is continuing as England manager and will lead our Euro 2024 campaign. Gareth and Steve Holland have always had our full support and are planning for the Euros starts now. So we don't need to consider Thomas Tuchel then, do we? No, not anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, so Gareth Southgate stays on. Wow. Uh, I, I mean, before before we, we sort of got, got the hints that it was going to happen, I really didn't see it happening at all. Right. I thought before the tournament that he was going to leave no matter what the result was. Um but there we go. I mean, I, I can't say I'm disappointed at all. I think, no. I think he, is, he is the person to, uh, you know, the measured, balanced guy to to, to get us get us through. I think, Half uh, the I press. Think, go on, Gary. I, I ran a, a poll on my YouTube community page, actually, asking, because I, I thought the longer it was going on, I thought he was actually going to resign. And I think most people did believe that. I thought, you know, it just seemed a bit quiet, didn't it, for a while. But I'm glad, definitely the right choice that he stayed. But, um, yeah, I was worried for a few moments there. <laughs> well, we got we got kind of distracted by that there. But go on, just you, you're right to... Or, Give us your view on the, the World Cup, obviously, the, the group stage and then there was Senegal and, and ultimately how it ended. Well, just first off, uh, and I, I'm gutted. I'm still no. absolutely gutted. It's still very raw. Uh, but 
We went into the World Cup, didn't we? And I, I thought when the World Cup group stage was drawn, I thought happy days. I, I could not have handpicked that group better myself, I think I said, at the, uh, when the draw was made. I was really pleased with it. But given the year we had, as we got closer to the World Cup, I did start to think, uh, maybe we're going to struggle to get out of the group. But we didn't. We were we were brilliant, really, apart from the United States game, which was just awful. But the rest, of, we did what we needed to do. And we topped the group, scored goals, and England topping groups isn't something that we're used to. You know, we don't we don't have a great record of topping World Cup groups, so that can never be taken for granted. And then we were playing good football. I mean, nobody called the six um, two Iran victory. No, I don't care who you are, don't mm. matter what England fan. We all some England fans are saying, "Oh yeah, we'll white floor with them." But you looked into Iran's record, and they did. You know, they could defend well. They've done well in previous World Cups, so uh, it was. You can't, you can't ask for a better start. I mean, in our lifetime, we will struggle to have a better start to a World Cup than that. Um, so it was fantastic and it all seemed to be going so well. Then we had the African Cup of Nations champions and that potentially had the opportunity of being a bit of a banana skin. Obviously, they didn't have Sadio Mane and a couple of other players through suspension, but nevertheless, still a very tough team. And really, it was, in the end, it was it was easy and, and, and we... We played well, we controlled the game, scoring goals. And the biggest problem coming throughout the year was England's lack of goals um, all year. And then all of a sudden we were getting... And before that, actually, even even the year beforehand when we'd, when we'd done really well, it was only... Goals were only coming from one place and that was Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling. So this tournament was all of a sudden... That's the only thing we've sort of resolved this year is that finally the rest of the squad is coming good with picking up some goals and assists for our, uh, for our important game. So we made really good progress. We came up against the French and I'm just, I feel angry because we were the better team and I don't care. We were the better team within that match for 60, 70 minutes, but it's just, it was just England, just that those 50, 50 moments. We just cannot get over the line, but I don't blame Southgate for this at all. If we're the better team against French, which I believe we were, we were the better team. Uh, I think we're one of the best performing teams throughout the World Cup. I think Southgate did all he could do for this tournament. And if you're looking at it, football is fine margins. If yep. it's very fine margins, Gareth Southgate is potentially penalties away from winning the Euros and a penalty away from potentially taking us to back-to-back semi-finals. There is nothing a manager can do in penalties. You know, it, Harry Kane... Harry Kane doesn't need any more practice. There's nothing Harry Kane could have done or Southgate could have done before this tournament in, in, in regards to him taking penalty shootouts. You know, we, he can take a penalty kick. Well, we thought he could. I still can't believe he skied it. I'm absolutely gutted. But none of that is Southgate's fault. And yeah. you look at that and, and you do think, and that is going back to, this is England's first defeat within 90 minutes of a knockout football match within three tournaments. And that says everything you need to know about Gareth Southgate and his preparation. We are traditionally very difficult to beat under Gareth Southgate at tournaments. And the game we did lose, I believe we were the better team within it. And barring Harry Kane skying the penalty over the bar, I know it doesn't mean we'd have won the game, but I thought England were in a great position to go on and win the game had he have done that. But it comes down to again, just and the reason why anger comes back to mind is because it's this was this would have been the year would have won it. I'm telling you know with 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 that semi final and Morocco have been sensational and they were brilliant again last night. But you'd have really fancied England in that semi final, and I think if we'd have beat the French and won that semi final, we'd add a fancied England genuinely in the final as well. And I just I'm just so 
gutted because it's when when will when will we just get that little bit of fortune or little or, or it's not always fortune it's taking our own opportunities as well we either shoot ourselves in the foot or the referee does us over traditionally i think it was a little bit of a mix of both on the night but the world cup it was disappointing but it's i don't blame the manager and that's why i think the news that we've got today is is good that Gareth Southgate is staying on because I think he's done all he possibly can. Um, so yeah, hopefully Euro twenty twenty four. It's 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 ours, lads. <sighs> but it's a nice early Christmas present, isn't it? How about that? Yeah, um, definitely. I think this is the thing, though, isn't it? It's like everyone looks for a scapegoat, don't they? When we yeah. go out of the tournament, everyone wants there to be someone to blame because they don't want to admit that we did everything we could have done and that we weren't quite good enough. I'm not saying we weren't quite good enough, but it could, because I think we were much better than France. I think we are better than France and I think we played better than France. But sometimes nothing goes wrong and it's just the way the game goes. 2-1, they scored two, we scored one. And it was just those moments. I mean, Giroud's header is heavily deflected off. Harry Maguire, it's gone into the back of the net. That's football. Sometimes that happens. And I think people are so, they're caught up with, caught up in the noise and, and they, they, you know, they fall victim to, outcome bias and 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 it, you know you need to think back to before the game you know and actually think back to the game itself with that performance if we go through no one has a bad word to say that would be oh this is exactly what we needed this is the next step for Gareth Southgate to dominate a big team and to get the wing and we did dominate a big team and before that game everyone was incredibly happy with the way this tournament was going and so you cannot claim now that Southgate is you know inept in in any way we we i think going into that game we were the best team in the tournament we'd scored the most goals we had one of the best defensive records if we if we win that game i, I agree with gary i think we beat morocco because i don't think there's a manager and a team in the international game who's better at moving on from the highs and and being focused on the next game and being professional in those moments i don't think we take anything for granted and i think we would beat morocco and then, you know, as we all know, in a final, anything can happen and we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens this afternoon. But sometimes it's nobody's fault. And I think this is definitely one of those times. The problem is Southgate isn't a popular man anyway, is he? He's not a popular man with a lot. Of, it, it, Southgate could probably win the Euros and back-to-back World Cup and you'd still get a large section of fans who think he's boring, is this, is that. And he's just, he's starting for a lot of fans, not in a popular position anyway. And I just feel like with 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 England now, we've got the best man in charge to move forward. And it, it's... He's the best man for that crop of players. He relaxes this team. We've all got to remember where we started from and where we've been. And Aidan, you spoke about not being good enough and we're not good enough, but it's not so much in the 90 minutes. It's it's in those fine 50-50 moments that, we, and but we've never been good enough in those moments. So you can't point it at Southgate. This is a an age-old England problem on those 50-50 moments in very important matches with, again, it's a good opposition. It has never gone England's way. It is, it, we have never just been able to, it, it, whether it's, you know, a sending off a penalty or, or, or an action from a certain player, we've always never been good enough in those particular moments. But this is the first time I have seen England where I believe we are good enough in terms of competing with a a top, top team within a knockout game. We were the better team. And I cannot remember the last time England played a, a top nation in a knockout game of football. And I felt at the end of the game, we were the better team, truly. And I felt that. And I just feel it was Lady Locke or, I don't know, English curse, whatever you want to call it. 
that didn't get us over the line. Um, I think it's that thing about creating your own luck, isn't it? I think that's the hardest thing to do, and that's the thing that we didn't quite manage to do. I mean, we did do it in every in all, all the other games, maybe bar the USA. But I mean, we did create our own luck because we rode a storm and got a clean sheet even then. So it's about creating your own luck. And if anyone thinks that changing the manager is going to magically solve that, not at the expense of anything else, I'm afraid that's that's quite naive. I think once once that luck does change. And, and we all obviously hope it does. And we may be on for a uh, a hell of a roller coaster, couldn't we? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, guys, thank you very much for joining me, not just today, but throughout the year. And, and as I said a few times throughout this podcast, we're, we're talking before the uh, the World Cup final. Just give us your uh, give us your prediction. Who, who would you like to see? Well, that's the toughest question, isn't it? Who would you like to see win the World Cup? Uh, a little score prediction. Oh, go on. I would say I'd, I'd, I'd much rather Argentina won it. Oh, we can't go 3-1 down on World Cups to France. Surely not. Um, yeah, we'll go, we'll go with Argentina. It'd be quite nice for Messi. I, I, I don't, I'm not one of these who thinks it's been a one-man show this tournament. I think they've all clubbed together. I think they've been absolutely outstanding, Argentina. Yeah, I, I'd like them to win it. I really would. Go on, Gary. I'm the exact opposite. I don't think there's an Argentinian alive that would ever pick England to win a final. So there's no chance I am picking Argentina. Is there um, a Frenchman and, alive who would want well, No, no, maybe not. Maybe not. But I just feel with Argentina, we've probably got a little bit more spice between them. But I mean, France did knock us out of the tournament. So it's, I don't want either to win, let's be honest. But I'm probably, I'm going to go with, I believe Argentina will win it, but I want France to win. Uh, but I'm probably going to go with a, a 3-1 Argentina victory. Okay. Well, as as I've said before, I've uh, I did predict Argentina to win it as right at the beginning of the tournament. I, I can't change now. I'm going to say say that. And I, I did look. I apparently um, in a, a moment of maybe madness or or genius. I don't know. I put fifty p on Argentina to win it, and also fifty p on Mbappe to be top scorer. So I uh, I may be quids in later. Yeah, that's not bad, mate. Not bad. <laughs> but lots of the big spenders, but. Uh, <laughs> You can buy a new house with that, Russell. <laughs> I'm not around here, you can't. <laughs> oh. Guys, thank you very much um, for your time. It's been a, a fantastic year. Um, I'll just take this opportunity to to say Merry Christmas to you. All the very best for uh, 2023. And no doubt we will uh, we will speak in the new year, hopefully all positive regarding England. It's been a pleasure, Russell. Merry Christmas. Yeah, Merry Christmas, Russell. Thank you very much. Thank you very much to the guys there. As I said, it's been great to have them on the show throughout the year, and I'm sure they'll be back with me throughout 2023. You can, of course, find them on their social media channels too. I'll link to them on my own Twitter, at Three Lines Podcast Twitter. Go give them a follow. Now, also, I'd like to say thank you, you, the listener, for your support throughout the year. The messages you've sent... Even saying hello face to face. Thank you very much. I couldn't ask for a better set of listeners. Now, at the very start of this episode, I say a little task, didn't I? Uh, 12 England goal scorers this year. Could you get them? Let's run through them. Uh, Harry Kane scored five. 
Marcus Rashford. He scored three. Bakayo Saka, three. Luke Shaw got two. Raheem Sterling got two. Now we get into the players who have only scored one goal this year. Jude Bellingham. Mason Mount. Jack Grealish. Phil Foden. Jordan Henderson. That takes us to 10 England goal scorers. There's two left. Have you got them? Tyrone Mings scored one. And Ollie Watkins scored one. Both of those were in the March game against the Ivory Coast. You'd forgotten about those, hadn't you? There's no prize for it, but if you got all 12, I doff my cap to you. Well, as it edges ever closer, I just wanted to wish you and your family an enjoyable Christmas and a peaceful and prosperous New Year. Just a quick one. Off the pitch, I know some very good friends, true, genuine England fans. have had a tough year this year for various reasons. Wish you all the very best. And I know that 2023 is going to be a bright one for you. Keep your heads held high. Stay positive. Stay strong. There is plenty to look forward to on the pitch as well. We get up and we go again as we face Italy in March. Don't forget, we've got Scotland away next year too. And the Women's World Cup is, yeah, that's going to be a good one. Let's hope this time next year, all of the recent past seems like a distant memory. Thank you, as always, for your continued support. You can follow the show on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcast. And I'll be back with you in January for another episode take care of yourselves stay safe cheers Mm -hmm.